You're listening to The Right Process, a podcast in which one writer tells the story of crafting one work from concept to completion. I'm your host, Charlie Jensen. Hello, my name is Gabe Gabriel, and I wrote the movie Runs in the Family. Gabe Gabriel is a queer South African filmmaker based between Cape Town and Los Angeles, where they have been working as a writer, director, actor, and independent film producer since 2013. Most recently, Gabe has penned such works as Granny Lee, a feel-good South African dramedy about a real-life transgender icon, Mavis and Grace, a Thelma and Louise-type buddy cop western, Sabela Gold, a five-season gritty gold rush crime, and Mother City, a psychosexual neo-noir drama. In 2021, Gabe made their directorial debut with South Africa's first gay rom-com, No Hiding Here, which is currently available for streaming on South Africa's premier streaming service, Showmax. Gabe's original works have placed them as a semi-finalist at the Atlanta Film Festival Screenplay Competition, the Final Draft Big Break Contest, the 5th Annual Screencraft Fellowship, and the CBS Writers Mentorship Program. In It Runs in the Family, Reformed small-time con artist and single father, Varun Chetty, is called to break his long-lost ex-girlfriend Monica out of a rehab clinic across the country. He and his transgender son River must road trip to her rescue and back, all in time for River to compete in the national talent show that could win him the cash for his long-awaited gender-affirming surgery. So long as no grifters from Varun's past get in their way. I got the idea for this film from kind of a personal history with my own father. It's semi, very semi-autobiographical. And I feel like I should give a little bit of backstory on my relationship with my dad. He's always kind of been a mentor to me, especially in terms of creativity. When I was a kid, he always encouraged me to write what I could see. He hates a bored child. He would always say a bored child is a boring child, which problematic as it may be, it definitely was part of my upbringing. So he would say, if you come to me and say you're bored, you're not using your imagination. And so he would always encourage me to take a notepad and a pen around with me. And if we were waiting somewhere or walking somewhere or whatever and had to entertain myself, he would say, just write down what you imagine those two people are talking about or what you imagine that guy did this morning before he came to work or make me make up scenarios and sort of tell me that I was a little detective, you know, writing down clues. It wasn't so much to kind of bring me up as a writer specifically, although he is a creative himself as well. I think it was because he has a sort of strong belief that curiosity is kind of fuel for life. He is also a film director, mostly worked in commercials, but he's made two feature films over the past two decades. He has been a mentor to me in my screenwriting since I started in 2013. So that's the backstory to sort of him being my main team member. The idea for the story that I've written here, it came from wanting to write his next film that he would be able to direct. He and I had been speaking for ages about me carving out some time from the TV shows that I've been working on, which are all still in development, so that I could write something for him because he'd always kind of brought me up writing for him, but I, I hadn't written something that could be made yet for him. He and I sat down one day because we saw that there was a new Netflix and NFVF, which is the National Film and Video Foundation in South Africa. The two companies decided to announce a slate of six low-ish budget films, high budget for South Africa, but very low budget for the US, that were going to be sort of gifted to South African filmmakers in May of 2021. And we discovered this in 
February of 2021. And we thought, well, this is a perfect opportunity for us to find some financing for a little contained family story that we were going to write. My suggestion to him was that we sort of used our identities as the starting point, and then we created a fictional story around that. So I'm a transgender, mostly gay, but actually pansexual, sort of, let's say at the time I wrote it, I was in my late 20s. Now I'm 30, almost 31. I knew I wanted to do sort of a second puberty story about a trans person having a coming of age that's not at the sort of 13, 14 year old, but rather at this age where you start taking hormones, which is what I had done a year prior to writing this. That was my character. And I knew I wanted that to go on screen. And then his character is this Indian still quite colonial, but free thinking liberal, who's, he's actually 70, but he feels sort of 56 ish. So that's how I wrote him. And he's very young at heart. And he's a very curious person. And we wrote the story together, in the sense that we sat down twice for two meetings over some hamburgers, and just discussed like, if we had to see ourselves on screen, what kind of shenanigans would we like to see us getting up to? So a road trip came up. So it ended up being a road trip film. We both also really liked uh, Little Miss Sunshine and the kind of tone of Little Miss Sunshine. So that was an influence in the sense that we knew we wanted there to be a kind of final goal, but what happened along the road trip was going to be sort of a, a main part of it. And then we also didn't know whether we should bring in a character that's similar to my mother or if we should get something completely different. So what we started to then play with was this character that was going to be my fictional character's mother, who is nothing like my mother. She's a con artist in the story. I won't give a spoiler, but basically she may or may not con someone in the story. And so it's a story about my father character and my character going on this road trip to rescue this long lost mother character. And the son character discovers that the father was also a con man in his youth, but he's kind of reformed. But the mother brings back this kind of conning side to him. Bad stuff happens and so does good stuff. <laughs> the process of writing for me started with these two meetings that I had with my dad. We just kind of did a what if game. What if our characters did this? What if they did that? What if they did this? And we opened up a whole lot for act one and the majority of act two, if you want to sort of speak technically about it, that was kind of the opening. And then I would have to go off on my own as the person who's ultimately going to write the script and figure out which options of what ifs had a viable ending that A, said what I wanted to say without being didactic. And basically what I wanted to say was that trans people and this sort of cross-racial and cross-gender relationship in a family father-son story can be really regular and flawed and beautiful and weird and wonderful. And, you know, I just wanted to humanize both of our identities on screen. I wanted to make sure that whatever story, whatever what if we chose was kind of going to land philosophically and politically where I wanted it to land without being didactic. And then secondly, just looking at structure, if I get into the kind of nitty gritty of my writing process, I outline with sticky notes. I sort of did a couple of different sticky note outline options for myself based on the kind of three or four threads that my dad and I had kind of responded the best to. I put those outlines out and one of them seemed to have too many endings or needed too much explanation. So I threw that one out. And then the next one felt a little bit thin. So I ended up throwing that one out. It felt like I was looking for more story. And basically the one that I landed on ended up being the one that sort of wrote itself the best based on the idea and what the characters would do, obviously, because I felt very passionate about knowing who these two characters are. And I'll speak in a moment about how much of a challenge it is to write autobiographically because 
my challenge later on in the writing process was to judge the characters a little bit more and, and not be so kind to them because I so badly wanted to show this healthy relationship in a family that has a trans person in it that I ended up making no conflict between the two lead characters. So I had to go back later and adjust the story for that. And then in terms of the sort of day-to-day -day writing process, we had about eight and a half weeks from the day we realized there was this opportunity to the day that we had to hand in a script. I started with outlining as I always do, which was first sticky notes in kind of beat sheet form, starting with kind of two sticky notes per act and then expanding them out for transition scenes and adding sort of a kind of B thread and a C thread. By the time that my sticky note board was full, I felt like I could go onto my laptop and type that out into an outline, which is, you know, slug lines and full scene descriptions, but without dialogue and just kind of getting the crux of the scene down. I then did a little back and forth with my father on that just because we knew that we weren't going to really get a chance to do multiple drafts of a script. So we rather did multiple drafts of the outline. And then the scripting process was easier because I had a more detailed outline and I'd really checked out that the structure would hold in the outlining process. So the scripting was kind of just formatting out the dialogue and figuring out their voices. So I would say the outlining in the first week, we had our two meetings and I just did kind of a lot of throwing ideas around in week two. I boarded it all and landed on the one that I wanted to go with. So week three, four, and five were, in fact, all the way to week six was outlining. And that outline, I think, ended up being about 35 pages. It was quite detailed, I think, as far as feature film scripts go, because we were aiming for about a 95-pager or 100-pager because it's sitting in the sort of family dramedy space. By the end of week six of the eight and a half weeks, we had a detailed outline. And then I spent two and a half weeks doing the scripting, the draft. And in those two and a half weeks, I did send, as far as I can remember, I sent the first half of the script. Once I got to kind of the midpoint, I sent it to my dad to already start any kind of surgical notes. We agreed that we weren't going to take on any big structural notes for the sake of the submission, just surgical notes, in-scene notes. I sent him the first half to start mulling over and send me any thoughts he had about character voice and whatnot. And I carried on with the second half. And then we kind of switched. I then took his notes on the first half when we had about a week to go. I took his notes on the first half while he looked at the second half and then finally crammed in notes on the second half and submitted. And we also had to submit synopsis and character bios and all those things. So I was working on those concurrently in time for this deadline, right? So it was a very rushed process. I have had one other really rushed feature film process. And so I knew it was possible because I'd done it a year before, but I also knew that the script wouldn't have the opportunity to go that deep getting just one draft on a script. But I kind of just hoped and prayed that it would be enough for the submission and that I could then do later drafts if we got the gig, basically. Cut to, I think it was only October of that same year, we found out that we'd been shortlisted by Netflix NFVF out of, I think, 300 projects they selected 15 to verbal pitch. My dad and I were really happy about it. And we had to do this verbal pitch that basically answered a couple of their questions. They shot a couple of holes in the story and wanted to know that if we'd still been working on the script and also had lots of questions about the treatment of the actual filmmaking process for my father to work on. So we just kind of had to sell it to them with all else that we could. And also, I guess, prove to them that we're cool people to work with, as is often the case in the pitch. So that's what we did. 
And then by the end of November, I think it was, they announced the six films that were going to be funded and ours was one of them. And so that was a very happy ending to that. And what was great is that we had, although I took a few months break because I was working on this TV show, I was able to come back to it between the announcement of the shortlist and the actual pitch where I could tell them I've now done a second draft. And in that second draft, there was actually quite a big structural change. I changed the ending. And this was just after having sat with it for a couple of months and realizing that the ending that we had in the beginning was me trying to put too much of a pretty bow on something and not letting it be flawed and complicated because I think I felt a lot of the weight of wanting to represent trans life and joy positively. But I realized that in doing that, I was actually doing a disservice to me and my community by suggesting that it is that neat. It isn't. So I'm really happy with the fact that they allowed us to make that structural change to the end. And then since then, I have been tinkering at the script because we'll go into pre-production shortly. They're, they're sort of finalizing contracts now, and we're supposed to then have 30 weeks from contract signing to delivery of the film. So it should suddenly get very stressful <laughs> any minute now. So, so yeah, so the script is not complete yet because I like to massage dialogue quite a lot. And I also know that when it comes to casting, I will probably massage dialogue for the actors that are cast. I know a lot of the actors that are being considered already by the casting director that we've engaged. And I know that, it, you know, if this person gets the job, then I want to kind of write a bit more in for them because I know their background or their personality because the South African film industry is so small. To talk a little bit more about my process as a writer and particularly the sticky noting and the outlining. When I was at UCLA Extension, I was taught by Zach Hug, who made it a very practical, easy looking job to write something. Yeah, I think it's really tough to write something really well, but what Zach did for me personally was show me how easy it is to just put a beginning, middle and end on something. They suggested a technique where you have to fit it into a tweet because you only get 280 characters. So your beginning and middle and end of the story should fit into a tweet and then a beginning, middle and end of act one, act two, A, two, B and three should sort of fit into that tweet as well. I tend to do that now ever since Zach taught that. I don't know if Zach's still teaching that, but I still do it. In the meetings with my father, we just decided on a kind of beginning, middle and end very vaguely of what these two were going to go through. And I think in the case of this film, what we landed on in the beginning, which we've sort of stuck to, was that these two who thought they were really close are going to go through something that makes them realize that the father character sort of lives in the past and the son character lives in the future because he's sort of awaiting surgery and sort of keeps thinking he's not who he wants to be yet. And what their journey was going to make them realize was that the two of them actually need to focus on the present and see each other right now, which sounds very kind of lofty, but we put it into slightly more story terms for each of the what if options that we had. And then from there, when I came home and did the sticky noting myself, I basically took the what if ideas, which was like, what if the father was a con man and they've got to go rescue the mother from a rehab clinic and she maybe cons the son out of his surgery money. That was the first kind of idea very broadly. It has shifted slightly, but that was generally it. I came home and I sticky noted that and I just kind of thought, okay, well, the middle would be obviously where River, the son character, feels like even though he resents his mother for leaving him as a baby, maybe we can be a family. And there's this almost near win or a false win, which is often what we look for in a midpoint or some of us. And so 
I would put that as the first sticky note because I knew kind of, all right, that's where I want River to land emotionally before the rug is pulled out from underneath him and he realizes his mother has conned him. Off that midpoint, also because Zach always said, if there's a problem with your film, it's usually in the midpoint. So I'm always very aware of like, do I know what the middle of the story is? The thing where the character feels like they're about to get maybe something that they want or they didn't know that they wanted. And then the rug is pulled out from underneath them. And it's a deeply emotional moment before a sort of downhill bad guys closing in and then all is lost. And then some sort of big realization about self and then a climax or a facing your own demons or your antagonist, depending on the kind of movie you're making. I started with the midpoint and as far as I can remember, I went from there to figure out, okay, well, if that's my midpoint, I need to know what my inciting incident is, which we had in the what if that was very easy. Our inciting incident was the father gets a call from his long lost love of his life saying, come fetch me. I'm in a rehab clinic. Please help me. And he needs the son to sort of bail the mother out of this clinic across the border because the son is family, whereas they were actually never married, the father and the mother. So she needs a family member to bail her out. And the son is her only existing family member, but she has no idea to their knowledge that the son is trans. And so she's going to expect this daughter to show up. And so there's a lot of nice complicated stuff there to play with character wise. So I went to the inciting incident. So I knew where kind of my act one break would be. So I knew where to put that sticky note physically on the wall. I knew I had my midpoint note in the right place. And then I needed to figure out what my all is lost was and my sort of entry into act three and how to get River or Varun, the father, to fight their way towards some kind of victory, either an emotional victory or they get the money back or something like that. And that got me to the point of kind of realizing I had to choose a protagonist, even though it's sort of a buddy film and it's very much a two-hander. In fact, a three-hander for the section that the mother's in as well. I realized I had to choose, at least I think I had to choose one person who was going to have to do the sort of climax big moment because I couldn't inject. There was too much story if I tried to give them both a big climax, all is lost climax realization. So obviously because they're together in the story, it you know they're both in a lot of the scenes and they're both involved in the big moment that of the all is lost and in the recovery they're from but one of them had to take a leap and i had to select one character to do that from there back to the sticky noting i would just fill in little things between that that followed logic i'm very much into logic following so obviously if they got a call from the mother saying that she was across the border i then needed to put in a couple of stickies for the various places they would have to go to cross the border I knew that it would take longer than one day's drive. So I knew there would have to be a scene where they sleep over in some small town on the way to the border. I knew that crossing the border was going to be complicated and you can't just skip over that. So I put in a border crossing scene and it was kind of that vague, just filling in the gaps between these three major points in the story where I started to find the kind of pace and the stepping stones for how they were going to get from beginning to middle to end. And then from there, sometimes I'd have a really boring scene. And I'd be like, okay, well, this scene where they just have to sleep over in this small town, there's nothing really happening. They're talking heads. I'm really trying to stay away from being too didactic. Let's give them something to do. So they decide, okay, let's go to the little diner. And then there's some locals there who don't like the look of this old Indian man and this very feminine gay trans boy. And so, you know, there's something that can happen there that is plotty rather than talking heads because we're doing a road trip movie there's a lot of talking in the car so i fell into the trap i think in the first draft of getting too didactic in the sense that i was 
teaching through dialogue what you should and shouldn't think as an audience member. And then I had to, as I was writing, because I knew I only had this one draft to kind of convince them to give us the cash, I had to self-edit a lot while I was writing and inject plottier moments to get away from the problem of filming two people in a car for 30 hours. For the actual writing, I feel like the short period of time that I had to write this because it's a feature film. It was actually kind of helpful to have this, okay, you've got eight weeks, go, go, go. I cleared my schedule of everything else and I just wrote. And that was kind of helpful. It was the kind of pressure that was nice for me because it had an end date. My experience in writing TV is that if I put that kind of pressure on myself, I burn out quite quickly. So the TV show that I'm working on right now, I'm doing the first draft of all nine episodes and then the other writer does the second draft, the showrunner does the third. It's kind of unusual, but that's how we're doing it because there's translation involved. But I found that I tried this technique on this and I burned out after episode one because I couldn't write like that. So for the feature film that we're speaking about, it kind of worked for me to have this crunch and my day-to-day writing schedule once I was scripting was just, I had to reach X number of pages a day. I think I calculated it. And if I took only Sundays off, it was like I had to do nine pages a day for however long that would get me to hundred pages, roughly. Actually, I knew it would get me to like 110 and then I'd have to do some color to finish the story. So I really would just sit down and I would always, and I have this habit as a writer, I would always do better in the beginning of my writing day than the end because I was kind of into it and fresh and I'm a morning person and I love the ritual of writing in the morning. Then by the time there's the sun is in the like right on top of us and I've had lunch, I'm quite crap at writing. So I would always try to wake up earlier and get as many of those pages out in the first half of the day. And I would always know that the last bit of writing that I would do would would basically be crap. And I allowed myself in this process to be crap. And then each morning after I'd written, I would give myself a limited amount of time, maybe half an hour to 40 minutes to go and spruce up the second half of what I'd written the previous day so that I could allow myself again today to get crapper throughout the day and then to kind of fix it in the morning and keep going. I hadn't done that before. I think I just did that because I knew I was under immense time pressure. So I was just like, you have to give yourself the permission to write badly. And then you have to give yourself the permission to fix it, but don't get stuck editing because I can really get stuck editing. So I had to just enforce that on myself. And I managed to stick to it because of the short time slot. I have tried that now, as I mentioned on the TV show I'm working on, and it's not working as well. And I'm really struggling and I've got writer's block. So I just want to say it doesn't always work. But for this particular job, it did. And I think that was also because it was such a personal story and it meant so much to me to do it well that I gave myself those boundaries and those guidelines and kind of breadcrumbed myself to really make sure that I could deliver the best thing I could in such a short time, which I'm now speaking about and realizing I really need to do that for myself for other projects and especially for projects that aren't that close to my heart because it really helped. It really did help. My dad and I have a very similar story and character and dialogue. So getting notes from him on the first half of the draft, as I worked on the second, I would read his notes real quick and I would kind of almost have been able to guess all of them. And a lot of them were sort of typo or cute uh, joke suggestions, some of which don't land at all. And then I have to be like, dad, that's just not funny. (laughs) You know, there's a little bit of that, but he's such a gentle creature that nothing from him is ever a kind of tough, hard note. 
he's a big thinker. So the notes will make me think a lot, but they're never kind of nasty or this doesn't work. He's also an actor's director, so he really knows how to cuddle when he gives notes. And I mean that with due respect to actors, because I, I started as an actor. But it, it's such a vulnerable position to be in that you need to be held when you are told you're doing it wrong. Maybe some people don't, but I did. So, so I really respect that. He does a great job of kind of guiding me in a way that goes like, I see what you're trying to do here, but maybe it would land better if we tried this. And, you know, he's very great with giving notes. So I'm very receptive to his notes. And I've also become confident enough from working on things without him to be able to say, no, I actually know what I'm doing on this note and I'm not going to take it. I've found a good balance with him of how to go yes to some and no to others. After we did our draft and we handed it in, we sent it off to my managers. And I think I've definitely read it to my partner or we'd read parts of it together. And, you know, I just got little bits of notes from a kind of internal team. The main thing that came up there was that your two lead characters, because they are autobiographical, are too nice. There's no conflict between the two of them. Yes, this out of force, the mother comes in and that's a major conflict, but that conflict should reveal the lead character's conflict inside. So it was great to just kind of have outside eyes on that because as I mentioned, I was really worried about making sure I was representing family dynamic between a trans person and their parent as positive. But in doing that, I kind of forgot that you can have conflicts other than, you know, leave my house because you're trans. I so badly wanted to show a father who accepts his kid for being trans that I forgot that there are a myriad other reasons you could have conflict. So then it was quite fun to play with options, kind of fictional options of what could go wrong between these two and what animosity could grow between them that isn't about the transness and that it's just as important to show that this relationship is as regular as any other. So that was a great note that I got from my managers and Netflix and NFVF also took us through the pitch they said a similar thing. They said, what is the problem between the two characters? We can see what the father's problem, personal problem is, and we can see what the son's personal problem is, but we can't see where those problems intersect and cause crap for the two of them, right? So then I was able to say, luckily, my manager's picked that up already and I've worked on it and here's the solution that I've found and whatever, and that seemed to work. So I think maybe a lot of writers say this, and I'm always self-aware when I say it because I'm sure it sounds like nonsense, but I really like notes. And I think I've gotten better. I used to just take all of them. And I think I've gotten better at going like, here's a hill I want to die on. Here's one that I don't. And kind of figure out how to make sure that I'm sticking to my own sort of instinct and skill without sort of sabotaging something because I won't kill my darlings. There's a sort of fine line there. To prepare for the pitch, my father and our producer, Amina Thornton, and I put together a kind of 12-page pitch packet based on some of the things that Netflix and the NFVF required from us, which was character bios, synopsis, a kind of statement from the creatives, and a breakdown of the budget, and a bit of a director's treatment, and a breakdown of the schedule, which in fact in 12 pages is impossible. And they give you a very strict 25 minutes, so we knew we couldn't go over 12 pages. And we just were like, okay, well, let's just try and distill this into the most succinct which is not my forte, as I'm a big talker, but let's try to distill this into something really succinct and kind of learn it as a script, which we did, because we were really worried that if we didn't, we wouldn't manage to give them all their requirements and there'd be a problem. We distilled it down. We were two minutes over, but they gave us that grace period because they did tell us that if you go a little over, but you're close to the end, we'll just tell you to wrap it up. And the three of us rehearsed together 
and we finessed our section. So Amina took care of the budget and the scheduling section. Ian took care of the director's treatment and the kind of statement behind the film. And I took care of the, you know, telling the story of the characters and the synopsis and also had a chance to talk about why it's important to me and trans representation in film and stuff. It was absolutely rehearsed, which I found to be kind of a relief because I didn't have to worry about sort of saying the wrong thing or not representing it well enough, but also obviously difficult in a pitch to then have that feeling of kind of authenticity and conversational feeling. So it was tough, but they were very receptive. And what I realized while we were pitching is that they wanted us to be good, which I think is often the case. But I guess when we're preparing, we somehow think that they want us to fail. But of course, it works in their favor if we give them a really great pitch. So I was very happy that we got to feel that. There were, I think, 33 people on the panel. And it was all over Zoom as well, which is difficult because you worry about technical difficulties and stuff. And I've done a couple of pitches in this past year over Zoom that because of COVID and everything, it's kind of changed how presentations are received. And in a sense, there are some pros, but there are a lot of cons as well. You know, you just don't have that human interaction. So it was scary, but it went well, clearly. I mean, it was fine. The way that it works for them is that they give you this 30-week period. They say that from the moment the contract is signed, you have 30 weeks pre-production to delivery. And so when we had to pitch our proposed schedule breakdown to them in the pitch, we had to show them how those 30 weeks were going to be used. So everything's kind of been set up because of that planning that had to go in in advance through the production company. We're kind of ready to go with the full block of action as soon as it starts. But because we are very nervous about when that moment is going to be where they suddenly say, okay, now's the time. They just emailed us last week, the contracts, and everyone has to look at the contracts and sign the contracts and redline. And then once they're signed, we go. So that's why we're kind of preempting a few things to try and give us more time during pre-production and production. In this period where we've been waiting for the next thing to happen and for us to get a go on the pre-production, I have been tinkering at the script, not just for character voice moments, but also for visual moments. I think because it was such a rushed process of writing the story, I missed out those sweet little moments of where you're sort of in the character's point of view and you're seeing something and that's telling you something about what the character's feeling, right? And it's not necessarily paramount to the plot and the movement of the story forward, but it is deeply relevant to the character's emotional state. So for example, I just put in a moment where this was a few days ago, I had the idea to put in a moment where the son character River sees himself in the mirror, but for a second, he gets a flash of his mother's body because he's now being faced with his mother and he hasn't grown up with a mother. And so there's this weird moment for him of body dysphoria and dysmorphia because he superimposes his mother's naked body onto him in the mirror. And it's just a brief flash and he sort of shakes himself out of it. It doesn't result in any change of his action in the story in the script, but it does, once I thought of it, I may alter it still a little, I'm still working on it, but once I thought of some little brief mind trick that he sort of plays on himself, I realized that it's actually a really important moment for us to see that he is dealing with having this woman in his midst and she's obviously staying with them when they travel back and when they get back to town and he's having to reconcile his own body image with having the first sight of his mother when he's grown up with just a father and a a so-called man's body around him. It's those little visual moments as well as character voice moments that I'm trying to infuse the script with now to give it a bit more emotional 
weight and also to give the audience a bit of a better idea of what the characters are going through emotionally, because I feel like the plot has kind of got to be set in stone now. I suppose the last thing that I would say about this process is that there's a real writer's block that comes for me when I'm writing anything to do with trans characters, especially when it's for other people. So for instance, on the TV show I'm working on at the moment, there's one episode that's got a bunch of trans characters in it, and I found it the hardest episode to write, and I was late on my delivery. It's the only one I've been late on so far because I felt so much pressure to do it right. Whereas writing the story where I was writing about myself, basically, in an imagined set of circumstances, kind of allowed me the freedom to get it wrong and right and kind of move through the whole process of it because I wasn't thinking about representing a community. I was just thinking about like, well, this is just me. And I think that it's obviously really important to hire trans writers who write trans stories, but I would encourage, first of all, the people who are working with those trans writers to realize that because there's so little representation, there's a lot of pressure on us to do it correctly. And then to also encourage the trans writers to screw it up and get it wrong because the problem is not so much always with negative representation though that is a huge problem don't get me wrong the problem is with the fact that there is so little representation so negative representation has such a terrible repercussion whereas if we just get to write and tell our stories lots and lots and lots and lots then we are allowed to mess it up sometimes because people will have other places to look at and there won't be this singular narrative so i just want to encourage all queer and trans writers to write and put out their stories, even if they don't feel perfect, even if you're worried about not representing our whole community, right? Just do right by you. And the more that we get it out, the less we'll have that pressure of getting it right. I don't particularly have advice for contracting because I am terrible at the negotiations part. I like to just be the creative person and I throw my hands up and pretend I don't know anything when it comes to negotiating schedule or money or credits or what have you, because I have two wonderful managers in LA who do all of that for me and they get to be the bad guys so that I can be the good guy who's just focused on the creative stuff. If you don't have managers or agents who are going to negotiate that sort of thing, I would obviously just say you want to protect yourself as best you can. Always give yourself more time and more money wherever you can because you need to be able to survive. But yeah, it's very, very helpful to find, even if it's a friend who's in law who can negotiate for you, that would be my best advice. But I understand that that requires money. So if not, just take good care of your time and your sanity. <laughs> In terms of advice for other writers, I will recycle the best advice I've been given, which was also from Zach Hug. <laughs> I'm going to sound like the one man Zach Hug pride parade, but I think the advice that Zach gave us was start a writer's group and that you and your contemporaries will rise together and look out for each other and hire each other one day. So being less focused on any kind of hierarchy and getting to the sort of quote unquote people at the top and networking your way up rather network laterally, if that's the word, for two reasons. One being what I already said about you're all going to end up hiring each other one day or what have you. And the second reason being that it's really great to have an accountability group to keep you writing and also keep you positively critical of other writing. So you get to crit each other's work and you also get to either hear what your work out loud, if they're going to read it out loud to you, or you get to get some really good notes on it and you get to learn how to not take bad notes and all of that stuff. So I think the big change in my career in terms of when I was writing for money, as opposed to when I was not, was between having a writer's group and not having a writer's group. 
The Right Process is hosted and curated by me, Charlie Jensen. This season was produced by Jamie Moss. The Writer's Program offers courses, certificates, and services that help writers achieve their writing goals one page at a time. For more information, visit writers.uclaextension.edu.